0: Today I'm not back with another episode of Fantasy Lauren More. Instead, I'm doing a special presentation to celebrate Thanksgiving. So today I wanted to read to you a section of my upcoming book, Stars and Angels Sing. There's a whole section that deals with Thanksgiving and stories that I've written over the years and poems about what Sarn and his family get up to during Thanksgiving. So I wanted to read some of that for you as a special treat. And there'll be information in the show notes or the description about how you can get your hands on a copy because this one is going to have an audiobook and I'm trying to license some music for it, but more on that later. Let's. to the story. This section of the book is called The Stories We Tell. The Stories We Tell. Hi, readers. Before we dive into this tale, I wanted to tell you two related stories that I promise do connect to the larger narrative. Yes, this is Ran. And yes, I already had my say. But since when did that ever stop me from taking over? This is a fun story that I argued should be included, and no, it's not written in verse. This story ran in our newsletter in November 2018, and it really does belong in this collection. It's also a true story. This really did happen exactly as written. So here it is. A week before Thanksgiving. It was the week before Thanksgiving in America, and all through the town, snow started falling, making everyone frown. Business owners hemmed and hawed and finally quick a at the preposterous storm hitting the town. Worried employees stood by the windows, making such a palaver their bosses told them to go. Onto the clogged roads they went, skidding on ice and the snow fast covering the town. A sea of taillights stretched onto the horizon, making everyone groan. No road was clear, there was no escape, so our brave little scribe hunkered down and drove into the night. Her car skidded and fishtailed, but found no traction at all. So it struck something hard and bounced out of town. The curb was okay, but the car was in a bad way. So our scribe parked it and hiked through the snow. She took refuge with a co-worker and his nice family in town. After many hot cups of tea and much thawing out, our quiet scribe settled down by a warm fire to work on her phone. Meanwhile, the cast... Worried on her behalf, pulled on our warmest, wooliest clothes and headed to that town. We trekked and stomped, flattening the snow, but our progress was slow. Uncle Myron finally leaned on his crutch and declared, we must stop before we freeze through. Papa just nodded. His magic hated the snow and had burrowed so far down, his toes probably glowed. I wanted to check, but my numb fingers couldn't untie the bow. Then Papa lifted me up. And I burrowed under his cloak where the snow couldn't go. And we set off for our scribe's apartment in a distant town all aglow. After much stomping and dusting off snow, we thawed out by a lumiere crystal and watched the falling snow. I burrowed under the blankets with Papa to wait while we ate hot stew from a big bowl. It was all the scribe's fault. This story appeared in our newsletter in 2020, but Rand requested that I adapt it to fit in this book. Hi, readers. This is Ran, writing to you as usual. After we ate the stew, we waited for our scribe to come home and write about us. But all that waiting got boring really fast. And there's only so much snow you can stand to watch before you need to do something else. So what did we do? We can't go on adventures without Melinda because we need someone to chronicle our adventures. So we had to put all that magical mayhem we normally get into on pause. Since everything we do goes spectacularly wrong... Rather quickly, things spiraled. I just want to pause here and point out that what happened next was entirely Melinda's fault. She should never have left her tablet thing lying around. When I opened the cover and peered inside, a draft of his angelic keeper hidden stared back at me. I know I shouldn't have looked, but I had to know how much page time I got in that book. So I tapped on the nice spyglass icon and typed my name in. The result? I found 73 instances. But that seemed a little low. So I typed in nephew and ran a search and added those results together because I'm Auntie Sovin's nephew. The final result, there were 59 instances of nephew plus 73 instances of my name, Ran, for a total of 132. I know, some of those instances of Ran might be people running away from monsters or towards them. Sometimes Auntie Sovin runs toward danger instead of away from it. But a lot of those instances must be about me. Clearly, I have some page time in my aunt's second book. Until now, everything was fine. Papa was taking a well-deserved nap after we had a late lunch of turkey and stuffing and greens and berries. And I was smiling at the tablet like we were old friends. But Uncle Myron chose that moment to come out of his post-meal stupor. What's that in your hands? The tablet is five by seven inches tall, so it's the size of a skinny paperback novel. And Uncle Myron was a voracious reader. Nothing important, I stupidly said as I hugged the tablet to my chest. But I might as well have waved a red flag in front of his face because he shot off the couch and swiped the tablet from me before I could react. Uncle Myron flipped open the cover and a copy of His Angelic Keeper Hidden stared back at him. So did the blinking search bar, which I had forgotten to clear. Why were you searching for the word nephew in this book? I wanted to know how many times it was mentioned. I folded my arms and turned my back on him. I couldn't get the tablet back even if I tried. Uncle Myron was unfairly tall. He must have felt bad about taking the tablet because he sat next to me and hugged me. We might fight like brothers, but we loved each other very much. Did you search for my name? Uncle Myron asked. Not yet. I should have said yes and made up some number, but I didn't because I'm honest and curious. Well, let's see what comes up. Uncle Myron typed his name into the search bar and it returned one result. He glared at it. Just one? Why am I always left out of everything? Uncle Myron wiped a tear from his eyes. I never should have started this. Now I'd hurt my only uncle had to fix this. Wait, you're also Auntie Sylvan's brother. Search for that word, too. She likes to use the words brother and bro a lot. It must be an angel thing. I poked the screen back to life and kicked off the search when Uncle Myron just stared at the screen. Look, 211 instances. Yeah, but I'll bet they all refer to him. Uncle Myron jerked his thumb in Papa's direction. He might have a point there since Papa was Auntie Sylvan's twin brother. There had to be a way to get him more page time. Maybe not in Auntie Sovin's book, but maybe in our next book. I wondered if Melinda had left a copy of Cursebreaker hidden open on this device too. She must have because she was working on it before she left for work. I didn't remember her closing out of it, but I hadn't had the best vantage point. I'd been lying on a shelf in the closet next to the couch. I had peered through the gap where the sliding door met the wall. I liked to listen when Melinda asked the PC to read my story aloud, but she hadn't that morning. I tried to remember how she'd changed screens. This involved a lot of tapping and waiting for the device to do something. What are you doing? Uncle Myron captured my hands. He was always afraid I'd break something. I'm trying to go to the other document Melinda left open. I checked to make sure Papa was still asleep before continuing because he didn't know about our sixth full length adventure. But I digress. Oh, so that's what you were trying to do. Just click here and here and here and voila, there it is. Uncle Myron tapped the screen as he talked. And the screen redrew with a new document, but it wasn't Cursebreaker hidden. A dark funnel cloud leaped out of the device and captured us before we could move. As the story sucked us into it, I held tight to my uncle and he hugged me tight. Laughter echoed in the dark. It was that dragon, and I knew exactly which story Melinda had left open on her tablet. The one about that damn dragon and how she almost took over the world. That story is told in Dragon Spells and Rogue Spells. Since Uncle Myron was so upset about me, Ran, getting more page time than him, I knew I had to do something to cheer him up. But Papa woke up and ushered us back through the portal that connects Mount Eredran to Melinda's apartment. The portal used to appear in our cave, but our cave collapsed in Curse Baker Hidden, so we haven't been living there. Now the portal appears in odd places like closets. I have no idea why it likes to hide in there. Since the portal doesn't talk and probably isn't sentient, I can't ask it why it does that either. So we trooped out of the portal and into a linen closet. Papa flung open the door and we went to his room in Nolo's suite. I shared it with him so he could keep an eye on me. As Kirk's Breaker Trapped and Kirk's Breaker Revealed show, I need constant supervision or I get into trouble. But trouble was the furthest thing from my mind that night. Since Uncle Myron loves reading to me, I asked him to read me a story, but not just any story. I wanted to hear a story about turkeys, since I kept overhearing Inari, Nolo's wife, and Nerul, Nolo's son, talking about them. I knew that would bring a smile to his face, and it did, but things took a turn on the next night, where this next story takes place. I promise this all relates to the stories that follow. Turkey monsters don't exist. I want to hear another story about a turkey monster, but this time, I want to hear one about Papa fighting it, I announced to the room. Uncle Myron had to know at least one more besides the one he read me last night. There must be lots of turkey monsters since the birds look so weird. They were perfect for monster making. I never fought a turkey monster. There's no such thing. Papa folded his arms, but he glared at Uncle Myron like he knew who put the idea of turkey monsters in my head. I might have read him a book about a bird-like monster, and I might have changed it to be a turkey just because he's actually seen a turkey. Uncle Myron gestured to me like I was the culprit. So I scowled because it wasn't my fault that story was so fun and interesting. Now I needed a sequel. Still, I never fought a turkey monster. Turkeys don't become monsters. Papa paced the small room as he often did when vexed. There could be a turkey monster if a turkey walked into a puddle of bad magic. Then the bad magic would rise and cover the turkey and turn it into something bad. The turkey monster would then come after me and you would fight the turkey monster to save me. I gave Papa my best puppy dog look, complete with wide, innocent eyes, and I stuck out my lower lip and it quivered. Of course I would. You're my son. I'll always save you. Papa crouched down and put his arm around me because that's what I wanted him to do. But there's still no such thing as a turkey monster. He was really stuck on that for some reason. No, but there could be. You don't know what magic is creeping around the forest. A couple of turkeys could walk into it and turn into monsters. Anything is possible. I threw my arms in the air to emphasize my point. After all, we lived under a mountain surrounded by an enchanted forest, and the room was lit by magic glowing rocks. If a turkey turned into a monster, and I'm not saying it would, but if it did, why would it come here? That's the part I don't understand. Papa scratched his head as he often did when he was confused. Well, it has to go somewhere. So why couldn't the turkey monster come here? It was logical in my mind, but Papa just stared at me like I was the crazy one when I most certainly wasn't. Meanwhile, Uncle Myron laughed so hard he fell over. Did I mention we were sitting on the floor while having this conversation? Because we were. At the end of Cursebreaker Revealed, our living situation changed dramatically. And we still aren't sure if this change is permanent yet because it's only been a few months. I'm not sure why we sat on the floor. I think Papa still wasn't used to having actual furniture we could sit on because we lived in a cave for years with only a mattress and a stool. So we used to sit on the floor most of the time. But now we had padded chairs and a real bed. I liked the bed. It had a soft mattress and a warm blanket. Did I mention I share a room with Papa now? I do. And Uncle Myron has his own room. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Come on, it's time for bed. No more talk about turkey monsters. Papa had enough story time, so he rose. Usually, he'd sit around for longer and listen, but I guess the turkey monster thing really bothered him. Did that mean there was a turkey monster? Did he meet it before I was born and just didn't want to tell me? I'd have to corner my uncle later and find out. Before I could argue for another story, Papa picked me up and set me on the bed. He was serious about bedtime. Was this because of the new rules that came with our new living situation? He was never this strict before. Maybe he was strict tonight because I'd snuck out and had my own little adventures in Baker Trapped and Baker Revealed and two of those adventures didn't go well. I needed a rescue from the last one, and Nolo found out about me. Maybe I could meet all Papa's work friends now, but Papa might still be mad at me for forcing that on him before he was ready to deal with it. Well, he should have found a solution sooner. I don't want to go to bed, I said around a yawn. It was dark outside the window. Yes, our new room had a window, and I could see the stars twinkling in the sky. Since we were pretty high up, I couldn't see the forest or anything else, just the stars in the sky. I know, but it's late. You should go to sleep. Papa crossed to the window and pulled the drapes closed. Did I mention our window came with drapes? They were long and they kept the sun out in the morning so we could sleep late when Papa wanted to. Papa stayed by the window for a long moment and something said, Gobble, gobble. Did you hear that? Uncle Myron rose and walked to the window. It was just the wind. Papa fiddled with the drapes and tugged them a lot harder than necessary, making the curtain rod shake. I don't think that was the wind because I distinctly heard, Gobble, gobble. Uncle Myron grinned. Do you know what creature makes that sound? I threw off the covers, but Papa rushed over to tuck me back in. He was serious about this bedtime thing. No, what creature makes that sound? My uncle asked, even though he knew the answer already. A turkey monster! I crooked my hands so they looked like claws. We should go downstairs and make sure there's no turkey monster wandering around the meadow. I threw the blankets off me again. Papa covered his face with his hands and groaned. I don't know why he wasn't excited about a turkey monster. If you see a giant turkey lurking in your yard, stay away from it because it could be a turkey monster. The turkey monster. See, I told you it all connects. You'll have to read on to see how. The stories and poems in this section concern the events that took place around Thanksgiving that led to the Christmas story, including that time the rangers faced a turkey monster and Mount Oregon's first ever pumpkin chucking contest. I argued for their inclusion. You've been listening to an excerpt from Stars and Angels Sing, my latest book, which is a collection of short stories, scenes, vignettes, and poems that have to do with Sarin and his family celebrating Thanksgiving, and then a much longer section about them celebrating Christmas. We'll give you the verb in just a minute. And then Rand wants to explain how this came about. I just wanted to also note that this version, which I'm putting out this year, is an expanded version. It is 30% longer than the previous edition. So if you had the original version, there is a whole bunch of stories that are not in the version that from 2016. Okay. Rand is taking the microphone away from me. So down in the description, there's links. You can get a copy and I hope you'll check it out. I don't know if I'll put this on retail stores. It's something really special. It's has really personal to me. It's, it's not really something for a mass market release. It's something I wanted to do for the fans and also for myself. This is where the whole Cursebreaker series began. I wrote most of the stories and poems and vignettes in this book before the Cursebreaker series really existed. They were still in my head percolating, but they weren't written out. I didn't finish Cursebreaker Enchanted until after I wrote a lot of what's in there. There's a few newer stories that are included that came out later that relate directly to it. And I have to agree with Rand who told me they need to be a part of it. He's right. When I was reading them along with the bulk of this book, which is from 2016, it really does fit right in as if I probably did write it with this in mind. I just don't remember. (laughs) It's been, it's been years. So I hope you will check that out. Thank you. Here's Rand before he tugs the microphone away from me. What stars and angels sing about. Sarn lost his home and found a temporary one. That story is told elsewhere. Tensions mount as his foster family observes Advent, and it only grows as symbols of a season and a looming holiday that Sarn knows nothing about nears. What is Christmas? Should he let his son participate in this mysterious tradition? Sarn's struggle doesn't go unnoticed, nor does his wish to understand the reason behind the season go unanswered. With help from Santa an Iceman and some determined fairies and other holiday favorites, Sarn and his son discover the heart of the season and build a new tradition. This story is told in a series of vignettes and poems that build upon each other to tell a fantastic adventure of a father and a son. This story is told in a series of vignettes and poems that build upon each other to tell a fantastic adventure of a father and a son's search for the magic of Christmas. Rand's Holiday Rant Hi! This wouldn't be a Curse Breaker book without my introduction. The original version didn't have this intro, but you need to know what really happened behind the scenes. Yes, I know the scribe told you her side of the story, but now you need to hear mine. I promise it's more interesting. Melinda's sister passed away in February of 2014, and that broke her a lot. She even stopped writing for a while, but we characters couldn't let that continue. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it another thousand times in the future. We only exist when you read us, and we only grow and change when Melinda writes new books for us. So her taking a break was a big problem. With the second Christmas without her sister right around the corner, we had to act fast. Christmas is Melinda's favorite time of the year, except for snow and the cold weather and the whole sun setting at 4 p.m. thing. She doesn't like that at all. But I digress, as I often do. How did we get her back to writing and get a wild Christmas adventure out of our dear scribe? I'm so glad you asked that because I've been bursting to talk about this for years. Back in 2015, Melinda was sad and not writing. And as the days in November dwindled away, she was dreading celebrating another Christmas with a hole in her heart and her family. So I said casually, like you do when you're desperate for your scribe to write something, anything, even if it's bad because you're tired of repeating the last scene she wrote. How about you write a little something for the holidays? You could build a new tradition. In my head, I'm just screaming at her to write anything at this point. But she must handle scribes with care. They're fragile and may break. Melinda didn't say no, but she didn't say yes either. In fact, I don't think she said anything at all. She might have just stared at the computer screen and kept her fingers off the keyboard. Since that's not what I wanted to happen, I tried again and again. I might have become a broken record until I got a sad nod and a thoughtful look crossed her face. That might not look like progress to you, but at that point, any reaction was a good one. I could do that, Melinda said, and I knew I'd won because she can't stop writing until the whole story is out. That's why she's written and published over 20 books. She's got even more stories that aren't finished or published, but I must pick my battles, and I really wanted a holiday adventure now. Back in 2015, Melinda had never published anything herself. In college, some of her writing was published in her university's literary journal, but I'm not counting that because I wasn't in any of it. Before you get mad about that on my behalf, I couldn't star in those stories because I wasn't born yet as a character. But thank you for defending me. Back in 2015, Melinda just had a blog, which we still have today, so I suggested she publish these scenes there. I knew all about the promise she made to her late sister to publish her stories, and I wanted to star in books, but Melinda needed to start somewhere. Since she worked in IT, I figured she'd be more comfortable publishing her work on the web, and we could use that as a stepping stone to book publishing. I was right, too, as you'll see in a moment. But I was also wrong about one thing. With her family shattered and her recent move away from them making her feel unmoored, my scribe craved the structure and stability she lost. So she wrote that scene in verse. What can I say? Grief makes people do strange things. I'm not saying poetry is strange or that poets are strange. I'm just pointing out that was an odd choice. But somehow, writing each scene in verse released the kraken. I mean her imagination. I've just always wanted to say that. Anyway, back to my story. Melinda wrote like crazy and published each part on our blog. When the last one published... Readers who followed along requested a copy of the adventure in an easier to read format than clicking links to move between posts. This was what I'd been waiting for. So I urged Melinda to gather the parts of this epic Christmas fantasy adventure poem into a book and publish it. She did that. And a few months later, she published Cursebreaker Enchanted, the original version, which is not available anymore. That Christmas story only stayed on Amazon for a few months until everyone who asked for it got a copy, then Melinda unpublished it, and it's been sitting in her archive ever since then. But I wanted to resurrect it and bring it to you. So if you've ever thought the Night Before Christmas poem could use some magic and a sleigh ride with Santa, then this is for you. Yes, if poetry isn't for you, don't worry. Melinda plans to do a version of this adventure that's not a poem, but a regular doorstopper of a book like all our others. Papa just needs to turn 21 first. And he might be avoiding that and driving Melinda crazy, but she's trying to box him in, so he can't keep wriggling out of that story. More on that developing situation as details become available. Sign up for our newsletter so I can tell you all about it at www.mkusera.com. That's M-K-U-C-S-E-R-A K-U-C-S-E-R-A.com slash welcome characters. And there's no space or underscores or anything between welcome characters. It's just one run-on word because that's how Rand created it. Thank you for reading. Rand, son of Sarn. Down in the description, there's links. You can get a copy, and I hope you'll check it out Stars and Angels Sing. Thank you for listening. I'll be back with another interview and another fantasy book and another episode of Fantasy Lauren Moore next week. A friend of mine is coming on, so stay tuned for that. Thank you.